Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Mark Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning through the present. And today we want to welcome back as our very special guest, Dr. Jeff Scott from the Freedoms Foundation. Jeff, thank you and welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Arch. It is great to be back. Can't well, wait. Well, it is great to have you. Jeff has recently become the Vice President of Education at the Freedoms Foundation, and both Jeff and I have a heart for the Freedoms Foundation and everything that is done there educationally for the youth and teachers of America. So, Jeff, if you would like to share a few seconds about the Freedoms Foundation before you get into your topic, we certainly would appreciate that. Sure. The Freedoms Foundation is nonpartisan. We look at helping strengthen our country through civic education and the study of U.S. history. And so it's important for us to make sure that people stay engaged with a country, stay engaged, understanding the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and all our founding documents. Not shy away from bad things that have happened, but also study things in context. How we can learn from our past, appreciate our past, and improve our future. And so that's what we want to do and just love our country and love and appreciate what we have. And listeners, I want to tell you that I've known Jeff now for a couple of years. He's taken a couple of the classes that I had the privilege of teaching, and he's a good, good guy. He is a, just a good, good guy. And I didn't mention it in the last program, but a couple of years ago when our bus was stuck in the middle of the road at the Birmingham Meeting House, Jeff single-handedly picked that bus up by himself and pushed that 56-passenger bus off the road to safety so we could continue our program. So. Oh. Oh, the power of belief. The power, power. of belief. <laughs> so, well, <laughs> listeners, in our first program, Jeff talked about the it factor of the presidency, and he gave us several different examples of different presidents that had that it factor and why they had it. And Jeff, if you want to continue that or broach the other subject of one-term president, it's your floor. So, yeah, you know, I think it could be good for people to listen about the one-term presidents. You know, we probably won't get into all of them, but certainly a few of them deserve their time and an approach to U.S. history. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that often when we study the presidency, we kind of skip over the people that were only one term. And it's like, well, if they were just one term, they probably didn't do a whole lot or they weren't any good. And that's not true. And that's that's not the case. I'm not saying it's not, not always the case, but for many of the one-term presidents, you know, they were one-term for a reason, whether they couldn't connect with the general public any longer or, you know, parties changed and they just weren't the right person for their party anymore or what have you. But I want to talk about a few today. And um, two of the ones I want to talk about first of John Adams and John Quincy Adams. You know, when you look at one-term presidents, I think it's very important to say, okay, what did they accomplish and what really sent them on their way? Why only one term? John Adams, obviously, is one of the most important founders in our history. I think of all the founders, he gets overlooked a good bit. He also needs a monument. You know, there's a John Adams, I think it's a, I can't remember the exact name of the uh, group. I think it's the John Adams Monument Foundation. I'm not exactly sure. But they're trying to get a monument for him on the uh, on the mall. Uh, John Adams is the only founder of, when you think of our main founders, George Washington, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson, those people that didn't own or didn't enslave people 
he was strongly against that from the beginning. And obviously, one of the most accomplished writers we had, he was part of the group of five that helped write the Declaration of Independence. Uh, even though Thomas Jefferson mainly wrote it, Adams was one mm-hmm. of the editors. John Adams was also part of the contingent that signed the Treaty of Paris that made us a country. And John Adams was obviously the first vice president of the United States. And how tough is that when you have to follow somebody like George Washington? Yes, yes. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I don't. It's kind of like, you know, me being from the South, that's kind of like when people that follow football understand how great Alabama's been over the last many years in football. And that's kind of like following Nick Saban as head coach at the University of Alabama right now. Almost like no matter what you do, it's going to be hard. And so John Adams was present one term. And I think some of the things that happened with John Adams is that he was never really a great personality to be around. I think he always got under people's skin. He probably would not have won an election if we'd been doing elections like we do today. But he was certainly qualified to be president. And I think the other thing that hurt him is that, again, he couldn't really go out there and talk positively too much because that wasn't in his DNA. And also you had the XYZ affair. You had he refused to go to war with France, which he was right about. And that turned a lot of people in his own party against him. But the Alien Sedition Act certainly didn't help him, and he could never really get away from those, and so that hurt him. And so then you look at somebody like John Quincy Adams. Okay, John Quincy Adams becomes president, which is astonishing that you have two people from the same family become president, and it doesn't happen again to the, well, father's son. It doesn't happen again to the Bushes. But John Quincy Adams was also just brilliant. If you've ever read anything about John Quincy Adams, I mean, it, this guy was very intelligent, great with policy. He was ambassador to several countries. He was very accomplished in every administration and up until that point after his father's administration. And so when he got elected, again, it was very controversial because at that time, you know, Andrew Jackson was running and and stuff like that. And Andrew Jackson called it a corrupt bargain that allowed John Quincy Adams. And so something negative also influenced his presidency, just like his father with, you know, the Alien Sedition Acts. John Quincy Adams couldn't really overcome the stigma that he stole this election mm-hmm. with the corrupt bargain with Henry Clay and so forth, because he just did not have the personality to do it. And he didn't care about doing that. And so it was hard for him to really get a lot of people that needed to be on his side, on his side. But to John Quincy Adams' credit, John Quincy Adams then ran for House, or he was approached to become a member of the House. And he allowed his name to be put forward. And even people in his own family said, you know, you shouldn't do this. Maybe it's below a person that's been president to go serve in the House. And John Quincy Adams saw people right there and said, it's never below someone yeah. to go serve people. And those are two examples of one-term presidents that accomplished quite a bit, but their personalities got in the way, and also they couldn't overcome a big negative because of their personalities. And Jeff, I look at John Adams coming in after Washington. Mm-hmm. I look at William Howard Taft coming in after the charismatic Teddy Roosevelt and George Herbert Walker Bush coming in after the very popular Ronald Reagan. How much of that was a factor in making these guys just one-termers when your example of, of Nick Saban tied into no, Nick I, Saban? I, I, think, I think it is a big factor because people expect things to just keep rolling, things to be the same. 
they already have a perception of success or they have a perception this person knows exactly what to do. And if you do anything different, then you're wrong. And also, when you mentioned, you know, John Adams came in after George Washington, you know, Bush came in after Reagan, Taft came after Roosevelt. They had uh, those those three people had dynamic personalities talking about or big personalities. Washington wasn't the greatest speaker in the world. He had a big aura personality that Adams certainly didn't have. And of course, we know T.R. had a big personality. Reagan had this charisma, this big personality. But John Quincy Adams followed James Monroe. James Monroe did not have what you would say a huge personality, but he was a charmer. He could work a small group of people. He was very calm. He was rational. And so people got used to that, especially in what you call the era of good feeling. Mm-hmm. And so when John Quincy Adams comes in, he just riles everybody up and really turns everybody, you know, against him and looks if we can get him in office. Great. And so that's kind of what happened to them. Uh, personalities of one term presidents aren't always the most dynamic or they turn too many people against them based on their personality or based on something hugely negative that happened to them. Do we have any one-term presidents, or how many do we have that decided not to run for a second term, Joe? Okay, I'm glad you asked that question, because I was going to talk about a one-term president that I think ranks very high among all presidents, and that's James K. Polk. Let me talk about James K. Polk a minute. James K. Polk was president... He was an extreme of presidents that a lot of people, if you walked out on the street and asked, hey, do you remember this president? Do you know this president's name? People would go, no. He was in a string of those. For instance, after Andrew Jackson was president, who was one of the biggest personalities we've ever had as president, you had the little magician Martin Van Buren. <laughs> you know, this little guy, I mean, he was he was smart, but not really, you know, he just he was more of a, a politician policy guy. Then you had William William Harrison. You know he just he killed over pretty quick. He didn't last long. You know so forth. Nobody remembers him. John Tyler, which is amazing. He was president in the mid 1840s. The country's really having trouble with internal issues right now. We're not having strong leaders like we had with Andrew Jackson. John Tyler, he becomes president, and basically nobody really knew who to follow William Harrison because it wasn't in the Constitution at this time that the vice president automatically took over. He just moved into the White House and said that's the way it's going to be. Well, he doesn't even win his party's nomination because he just, you know, they decide they don't like him at all. But the great thing about John Tyler, his grandson, one of his grandsons is still alive. His direct grandson. (laughs) Okay, and John Tyler was president in the 1840s. That's a whole different story right there. But then you had James K. Polk. All right, circle that one a minute. We'll come back to him. He was president in the late 1840s. But after him, we have Zachary Taylor, who doesn't last long, basically uh, kills over. And then we had Millard Fillmore, who took over for him. Millard Fillmore made a lot of people mad. Franklin Pierce. His son dies on the way, and he has trouble with alcohol, and it really impacts his whole presidency. He dies shortly after. And then you have somebody that I don't talk a lot about, James Buchanan. But, uh, <laughs> and Pennsylvanians probably know James Buchanan, the president from Pennsylvania. 
who basically thought he was going to be the last president of the United States. Yeah. yeah. It's basically what I thought. So when we go back to James K. Polk, he is in the midst of all those. Okay. James K. Polk, one term president, he is also the president or the person where the dark horse name comes from, the term dark horse candidate mm-hmm. comes from. James K. Polk, well, he was a pretty successful politician. He got out of office. He wasn't really planning on running for president. He was kind of recruited because nobody could decide who was going to be president because after Tyler, you know, he didn't win his own party's nomination and so forth. James K. Polk, to me, when you look at most effective presidents, I'm not talking about people that were nice. I'm not talking about people, you know, that were great on civil rights. But I'm talking about people that were effective in what they came in office to do. He accomplished almost everything that he said, okay, if I'm going to be president, I'm going to work harder than anybody. He took very few days off, very few. He worked from, you know, before the sun was up to the sun went down. And basically with Polk, you know, he acquired the Oregon Territory, which he set out to do. California, he acquired Oregon, California, and the Territory of New Mexico. He settled the Texas border dispute. He lowered tariff rates. He established the federal depository system. And he was really the president that, other than Andrew Jackson, took the presidential office to a stronger level. Now, obviously, there were issues with Polk and stuff like that. And people says, you know, he didn't worry about modernizing the country. He didn't worry about how slavery would be impacted by the growth of the country. But for Polk, his accomplishments are amazing. And Polk was really the president that set our country from sea to shining sea. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we really greatly enlarged under his presidency. And then he said, that's it. I'm not running again. He had said that at the beginning. People tried to talk him out of it. And he says, no. He said, that's enough. I'm out of here. And he really set the tone for saying, hey, here's your objectives. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not worried about being reelected. I'm not going to go in here and try to please people and appease people because of that. I'm going to go in here and do this job, which I think needs to get done. And then I'm out. And Jeff, did he say that during the campaign or before they elected him that he was going to be a one term president? And if he did, what was his reason for deciding just to go one term? You know, he did. A matter of fact, Polk, when he just felt like a president, if you have to be privy to being reelected, you couldn't get the job done. And so for him, he felt like just running one term is all he could do. And he wanted to go do a job because he saw the things in the country that needed to get done. He felt like, look, I'm going to make enough people mad. I'm not going to worry about running for a second term. I don't want it. I'm just going to do one term and that's it. And that's why he set it out to be. And uh, he planned on uh, living a comfortable life afterward and died shortly after that. Uh, He was only out of office like, I think, three months. Before he passed. Yeah, he worked himself to death. How different is that today, Jeff, when, you know, there is so much talk about if President Biden is going to run for a second term or, you know, they're talking, they talk a lot. I don't hear any president in modern day say, I'm only going to serve one term. (laughs) That's right. Um, And, you know, and it's hard, you know, because because, you know, to get to that level, you have to have a certain ego or a certain belief in yourself that just so off the charts. And it's probably hard to say, you know what, I'm not going to run again because what you're able to do in that position 
I wish somebody could win that way, but I'm not sure if somebody could even get elected that mm-hmm. way now. You know, the way the parties operate and, and so forth. I'm not sure if somebody could actually get elected running to begin with, say, I'm going to do one term. Yeah. Do you consider Grover Cleveland a one-term, two-term president or a two-term president? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Grover Cleveland. Oh, Grover um, Cleveland. Yeah, you know, uh, Grover Cleveland was uh, very interesting. The only president we've ever had elected in non-consecutive terms. It's pretty amazing. He's considered our 22nd and 24th president Mm -hmm. with poor Benjamin Harrison smack dab in the middle right there. But Grover Cleveland, Grover Cleveland knew how to push buttons. He was actually, if I believe I'm right on this, I I think he was the only Democratic president from the Civil War up to World War One. And he knew how to work party lines. He had grew up in the political machine. Matter of fact, when he lost the election, his wife told everybody to kind of keep things the way it was because they were going to be back. Hmm. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so, you know, uh, and, you know, it's true. They were. And um, she actually lived a long time after him. Uh, she's an interesting person herself. Uh, Frances Folsom Cleveland. Uh, she lived all the way to the late 1940s. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So Grover Cleveland. Yeah. Amazing. You mentioned John Quincy Adams went into the House of Representatives as presidency. Herbert Hoover certainly did phenomenal things, particularly to help orphans and uh, underfed people during World War II. Jimmy Carter, obviously, he did the Habitat for Humanity. William Howard Taft, one term president. What did he do after his presidency? Okay, well, I'm glad you mentioned those. You know, William Howard Taft, and I want to talk about, if we have time, I want to talk about William Howard Taft, but I also want to talk about Jimmy Carter. We have Um, about six minutes left, Jeff, so the floor is yours. Okay, well, let me say this about William Howard Taft first. Uh, William Howard Taft, he and Theodore Roosevelt just had such a tight friendship, and Roosevelt respected him. Taft was this calming presence that understood policy. He treated people well. Taft never really wanted to become president. That was never his draw. But T.R. wanted him to follow himself because he felt like William Howard Taft would follow his policies and would continue to promote the progressive ways, which Taft did. Matter of fact, there was more things passed under Taft's administration progressively than Roosevelt's. But Roosevelt yes. just didn't like how Taft would go about it. William Howard Taft probably wouldn't have followed the presidency, but his wife really pushed him and said, hey, look, if you have a chance at this, you're going to do it. And so Taft, after he lost the presidency, which he wasn't totally upset by, he later became Supreme Court Justice, Chief Supreme Court Justice. And it was his dream job. And I believe it was Harding who nominated him. Yes. And so Taft became a judge till he died. And he said it was the greatest job he ever had. And so he's the only president we've ever had then to go into the Supreme Court. And Jeff, I know that when he run his protocol, when the president-elect picks the sitting president up at the White House to go to the inaugural, William Howard Taft walked out that front door and shut that door. And he said, I am now the happiest man in Washington. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but he was yes, a phenomenal he was. Supreme Court justice. He was. And, and I respect how William Howard Taft a lot. And I think that we need to relook at him. I think he's one that we need to relook at. But also, maybe most importantly, he was the last president to have facial hair. So think about that. But let me talk about Jimmy Carter in a second. Yeah, please do. Okay. So Jimmy Carter, you know, and I, I grew up in Georgia and right on the border of Georgia and Tennessee. And Jimmy Carter is obviously from Georgia. 
Jimmy Carter, you know, we could talk about all kinds of situations, how he became president and so forth. But I think Jimmy Carter's post-presidency is the best of anybody that we've ever had. <laughs> Jimmy Carter has really made an effort to help people in society and really, you know, as you mentioned, Habitat for Humanity. But the Carter Center also does amazing things for people around the world. Mm-hmm. It's located in Atlanta. And I would encourage people to go there if you haven't. Go to the Presidential Museum, not just him, but any Presidential Museum. And really look at what the Carter, Jimmy Carter and his wife, Rosalind, have done for communities since he's been president. And it's been really, really amazing. And, and I admire that greatly. And he has done so much with the different organizations, the health, World Health Organizations that he has worked with and supported and raised money for. Just phenomenal what he has been able to do as a humanitarian after his one term. Yes. So, yeah, and so, you know, you know, it's been pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, we're almost up against time. So, Jeff, before, if we couldn't take any more on, would you share with our listeners, please, again, where the Freedoms Foundation is, how that people in our area can get involved, and what could they come and view and see at what the Freedoms Foundation has to offer the uh, general American public in the Philadelphia area? Oh, absolutely. We're located out here at 1601 Valley Forge Road, right almost next door to the beautiful Valley Forge Park one of the most historical places in America. And what we do here, we have a huge campus and we have dorms that we host our students and teachers. We also have classrooms. We have a chapel on campus that's used for various things. But in the back of the Freedoms Foundation, we have 50 acres dedicated to Medal of Honor recipients. Every state is represented with an acre and Medal of Honor recipients have a plaque out there and it's a beautiful place to go and pay respect and go walk, um, go jog, pay respect to recipients that earned our nation's highest honor by serving the greatest country on earth. Mm-hmm. And um, when people come through here at the Freedom Foundation, if you're interested, come on by and uh, we'll give you a tour, show what we do. We'd love to have teachers and students here. And teachers, if you're listening out there, it's a great place to uh, bring your students. Uh, we have wonderful programs and teachers. Be looking for our programs out there that will be hosting this coming summer. They're going to be dynamic. Absolutely. And Jeff, when will these programs, do you know when these programs will be listed on the website so our teachers could view the upcoming summer programs? Yeah, this is going to be very soon. Hopefully by the 1st of October, we'll be getting those out. We won't open up applications till December 1st, but we may do it a little earlier for the Joshua Chamberlain League members. Okay. And if you're interested, if you're a teacher and join the Joshua Chamberlain League, you're always free to contact me. I'll give you my contact information or Arch, you can share my contact information. And so it should be around October 1st. Let me just give you uh, just a brief rundown. We're, I won't get into the details, but we're going to offer a session over uh, Frederick Douglass, which is going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have a session over Abraham Lincoln and his life this year. As we mentioned, we're going to have a traveling program of American Revolution South, which is exciting. We're going to have a session over women in American history. Right. I'm very excited about that. We There are so many dynamic people to cover and that we're going to talk about. You know, it's going to be an amazing week. But one I'm very excited about is that we're going to do a new teacher institute. Excellent. For teachers in their first three years and new to history and civic education, we're going to walk through different things and how to connect our Constitution. 
and hopefully leave good, great resources and renewed passion right. for going back in those classrooms to teach civic education. Right. That sounds so great. So, listeners, you can contact Dr. Jeff Scott at the Freedoms Foundation. Please go on their website. So, Jeff, thank you again for sharing today about one-term presidents and your enthusiasm. We certainly appreciate you doing that, and we wish all the best to you in your endeavors at the Freedoms Foundation. So, thank you for coming and sharing again today about one-term presidents. All right. Thank you, Arch. And anytime, I'll be happy to be on. Our privilege. Thank you. I'll keep that open. <laughs> All right. Thank you. So this is 1180 AM WFYL, Working for Your Liberty.